Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. I don't know if you noticed anything different this morning. Um, I had a guy come up to me this morning. He said, hey, you must be speaking. I said, why? He said, well, you're wearing a black shirt. (laughs) I'm like, ah, I didn't even realize that. Did you notice that that, uh, Joel had blue jeans on? I didn't know he had a pair of blue jeans like that. It was pretty amazing. Pretty cool, pretty cool. Well, I'm glad that you're here. We're going to continue the series of Exiles, walking through uh, the book of uh, Peter. And there's a lot of stuff going on. And and I just want to kind of recapture the setting. A lot of horrible things are going on. Peter's writing to the Gentile Christians, and he's kind of just encouraging them because there's there's some major things happening. There's some horrible persecution going on to the Christians. The Christians are being framed for something they didn't do. And they're being arrested and they're being dipped in wax and they're being set on fire and they're being chopped up and they're being chased by wild animals and dogs. Horrible, horrible things are going on. And scholars say this is where we got the, the ichthus symbol. You know what the ichthus symbol is? The fish symbol? This is, where, this is the era that we got this from. That, that during that time, if you're standing around and you're talking to somebody, you're talking to a traveler or somebody in town and you're not really sure if they're a follower of Jesus or not, because it's scary. You don't know if, if I reveal that I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm gonna get persecuted. I'm gonna be set on fire. I'm gonna be ratted out. So I've gotta have a, like a little, like a code here. So this is where the, the symbol, the ichthu symbol, the fish symbol came from. So if you look at the screen, so if I'm standing there and I'm talking to somebody and I'm not really sure if they're a follower of Jesus or not, with my sandal or with a stick, I would kind of make a mark in the dirt. I would make it just kind of a little loop. And as I'm talking there, if the person doesn't respond, then I know, well, they're not a follower of Jesus. I've got to kind of hold back a little bit. But if they were a follower of Jesus, they'd finish the symbol with the bottom part and they would draw it and that would give us the third slide, which is the fish. So it was kind of a, kind of a code that they would stand around there talking to somebody and they're not really sure, so they would draw it in the sand or draw it with a stick. And it kind of gave them freedom to be able to go, oh, I'm with somebody who's like me. See, we don't, really get, we don't have to experience that in America because where we go, people usually accept us for who we are, what we do, and maybe they will persecute us and make fun of us by what we believe, but we are not under threat of getting arrested. We're not under threat of getting our limbs ripped off, under threat of being chased by wild animals. We're not under threat of being set on fire, dipped in wax. We're not under threat of that. But yet we, we, we get together with each other and we're kind of even scared with each other as Christians. We get to church and we're kind of scared. We, we reserve, we hold ourselves back and we go, well, I can't share anything that's going on in my life because they may persecute me. They may make fun of me. That t- can I tell you something? That's a shame. Too many times in, in our church, we are drawing these secret symbols because I don't want anybody to know that I really love Jesus. I don't want anybody to know that when I love Jesus, he reveals areas in my life that I need to, to surrender. I don't want anybody to know what those areas are, so I'm just gonna keep them to myself because I'm scared of persecution. That's a shame. But during this time, there, there's some major things going on. A lot of tension's happening. So we look at the second, uh, 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. 
as we walk through it. I, I, we're just gonna go through verse by verse. So 1 Peter chapter one, there's some major things happening here. And here's Peter, he comes to him, he says, so put off all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. So he comes to him, and I don't know if your scripture starts it off with this, but it starts off the word therefore. Does your, does your translation start off with therefore? Does anybody have that one? Okay, so if it starts off with therefore, you've heard the dumb things so many times. When you see the word therefore, what do you ask? What's it, what's it there for? So the first one, so put off all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, evil, and slander. Why is that there? Well, I think it's there because look at um, chapter one, 1 Peter chapter one. Let me read you this verse. It's not up on the slide. Let me just read it to you. Look at 1 Peter chapter one, verse 17. It says this, also if you are addressing as a father the one who judges impartially according to each person's actions, you should live out your temporary stay on earth in a godly respect. You should be aware that the ransom paid to free you from the worthless way of life which you, your fathers passed on to you did not consist of another perishable, anything, another, another perishable like silver or gold. On the contrary, it was the costly blood, bloody sacrifice of the death of the Messiah of the lamb without a defect or spot. So in light of what Jesus did for us, in light of, of having the sacrifice, in light of what he did, therefore, verse one, put all, put all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander away. Now the word to put off is a, um, is a, a, a fishing term. To put off mean, means that uh, you're gonna cast off the boat. So the boat is tied up to the dock and you untie the, the rope of the, the, the boat and you just cast it off. You push it off. You push it off into the water. Or you have a, you have a rod and a reel and you cast the reel. You, you throw it far away. That's the idea is that, is that we're, our job is to cast those things off. And if I could park it here for a second, let me talk about marriages. I, I have opportunity to be able to do a lot of marriage counseling. And I just wanna talk to those in this room that are married. This applies to the marriage. Stop. Stop. All kinds of malice. Malice means that you just have some ill will towards each other. I'm just ill towards you. And I could care less if you have harm in your life. I could just care less. I have ill towards you. Deceit. Stop lying to each other. Be honest with each other. Just tell each other the truth. I mean, we're starving to have the truth in our life. Hypocrisy. If you're gonna say I love you, then show I love you. If you're gonna say I'm committed to you, show your commitment to you. Envy. I, I, I appreciate everything that you have, but I'm not gonna be envious of what you have. I'm gonna be appreciative of what we have. And slander, stop talking negatively about each other. So many times, and I'm gonna stay here for the marriage for a second. So many times I get so tired of hearing Husbands and wives saying something negative in front of other people about their spouse. That is not beneficial to anybody. If you're in a crowd of people and you look at your, you're with your husband and, or your wife or whatever and you're in a crowd and you say, well, my husband, da, 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 my wife, dee, 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 that does not help anybody. In fact, that's breaking your marriage. So stop that. So Peter's talking to his, the Christians there and he says, listen, you got all this stuff in your life. You need to stop. You need to cast it off because it's not helping anybody. 
because we're here together. You're, the, 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 the people that he's talking to are Gentile Christians. He's looking to the Christians. He's saying, hey, guys, Christians, listen to me. Y'all got to stop it because time is running out and things are really stressful. And the last thing you need to do to each other is showing malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. You need to cut that mess out. So not only is he telling them to not have that together, he's also telling them how to live in public. Now, I mean, you mean to tell me that here's a follower of Jesus that are, are, they love Jesus, they, they, they chase after Jesus, and they go through town and there's slander and there's, there's malice in the town and there's, there's envy in the town and there's, there's hatred in the town. And you mean to tell me, Peter, that I can't return that? Get rid of it, he says. You see, we live in a society that tells us if somebody punches you in the mouth, you punch back. If somebody cusses you out, you cuss them out. That's the society that we live in. And we, for, sadly, we're training our teenagers to act like that. That there's no restraint in their life to say, okay, Jesus says, man, if somebody hits you, what's his response? Turn the other cheek. Have a heart of humility. So in the, in the society that they're living in, there's some major things happening. And he's telling them, listen, you need to cast those things off because they're not helping anything. They're not helping the cause at all. It's funny, I've been in the ministry, um, been here, going to October, November will be 21 years. I've been involved in ministry for about 30 years. And it's funny, you go to church and you sit through a message and I've heard people say this, I didn't get anything out of it. I didn't get nothing out of it. I don't, I don't read the Bible because I don't understand it. I don't get anything out of it. And it's kind of funny to me because I realize now, now that I'm a little older and I'm a little bit more mature, that for the longest time I thought it was my fault. Maybe my fault as a pastor, my fault as a Bible teacher or whatever. I thought it was my fault and I would take that. But I realized something as I'm reading God's word more and more that it's not maybe my fault. Maybe it's your fault. Because in your heart, you come to, to God's word, you come to teaching with anger. And there's slander in your heart. There's envy in your heart. There's malice in your heart. And if you have those things in your heart, you're not gonna get anything out of it. You're not gonna receive anything because you have that sin in your heart. And Peter says, man, if we're gonna do something, if we're gonna be anything in this society, if we're gonna be the salt, the light in this world, and he's telling us, this, us today, even today, we gotta start by casting this mess off. Cast it off, be done with it. That's why we start every service with, God, just reveal in my heart some sin because I wanna hear you clearly. That's why we start off the service that way. Because if we free ourselves from things that are entangling us, then we're free to hear his word. So we can't hear his word for, for many reasons, and he lists them here. Psalm 42.1 tells us how we should chase after his word. I'll read it to you. It says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Do you, are you panting? I mean, do you get the picture about deer running through the, the wilderness and he's just so exhausted and he needs something to drink and he's panting 
And I, I, I gotta have some water. Is that the heart that you have to God's word? Is that the heart that you have for your relationship with the Lord? That I just got to have it. The answer is, well, no, I, I don't know. Not really. Then I'll point you back to verse one. Maybe he has something in your heart. Because he wants us to pant after him, to chase after him. That's how we should receive his word. Look at verse two. So how should we do it? Verse two, it says, live like newborn babies. Crave pure milk, pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. I love this verse because it points to God's word and it says, I want you to crave pure spiritual milk. The world is full of people that have written books, um, podcasts, TED Talks, you name it. Those are good stuff. But if it ever contradicts God's word, it's wrong. Did you get that? If it contradicts God's word, then it's 100% wrong and you need to stop. So if you're listening to a TED Talk, and I know everybody loves these TED Talks, if you're listening to these TED Talks and they say something contrary to God's word, cut it off then because it's wrong. It's impure. And our heart should be somebody who's chasing after the pure spiritual milk of God's word, of God's teaching. And he says at the very end, so that you may grow, that you grow up spiritually, that we're growing in our spiritual life, you were growing up in what? Your salvation. Sometimes I read God's word and I'll be honest with you. I've been at this for a while and I love studying God's word. And sometimes I read things and I don't know if you're like me or not. Maybe you're more spiritual than I am. I'll read something and I'll go, what? Huh? And sometimes I've been guilty. If I don't understand verse two, I'll go, I don't understand verse two. I'm gonna go to verse three. Maybe I don't understand verse three. Well, I can't understand verse three unless I understand verse two. So I want you to encourage you something. If you don't understand something, just stop, read it, think about it, pursue it. Because if you don't understand that, don't read on. But he says, I, I want you to grow up in your salvation. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean I have to earn my salvation? Does that mean that my salvation is contingent on what I know and what I do? It's, it's not saying that. You, do you realize salvation has not come yet? Salvation has not come yet. You are being saved, but salvation has not come yet. Jesus Christ died on the cross to give us life, to save us. But I haven't had to experience salvation yet because I haven't died yet. Until Jesus comes back or until I die and I experience a time in my life where there's an opportunity to go one way or the other, I've already made the decision where I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus because of what Jesus did in my life. But my salvation hasn't come yet because I haven't come to the crossroads of when my life ends. So as we are growing in our faith, we are growing in our salvation. We are growing in our knowledge of him, that we're getting more mature spiritually. But there's gonna be a time that your life is gonna end and you're gonna need salvation. At that point in time, Jesus, if you've, if you've given your life to Jesus and you accepted him as a savior, at that time in your life, Jesus is gonna step in and say, wait, 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 that one's mine. That one's mine. I saved them. We are enacting and, and we're gonna pay this in full because he's, he's mine, she's mine. I purchased them. 
So this isn't say that we're, we're working out our salvation. It doesn't mean that we're having to earn our salvation. It just means that we're growing in our knowledge of our salvation. So salvation hasn't come yet. So what should we do? We should be craving, we should be drinking, we should be growing. Look at verse three. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Look at verse four. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. As you come to him, the living stone. Now we're gonna start getting into some stone stuff. It's gonna, we're gonna talk about the cornerstone. We're gonna talk about the capstone. But Jesus is referred to the living stone. Now if you're gonna build something, you're gonna build something on something that's solid, not something that is temporary or something that moves and shifts. You're not gonna build on sand. You're gonna build on something solid like a stone. Jesus here is referred to the living stone. He says, now that you have tasted me, now that you kind of have known me and you're growing in your faith, now that you have tasted me and I'm good, I want you to do something. I want you to think about something. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. They realize that Jesus is precious to God the Father. He's precious. And he was chosen for a mission to live a life of purity, to live a life that was sinless, to hang on the cross to die for you, to shed his blood for you, to die for you. And we look at that and we think, sometimes we are so cavalier about it that we think, oh yeah, I know that Jesus died on the cross. I know that, yeah, yeah, I know that. I heard it, I've heard it, I've heard it. He loves you so much that he looks at you and goes, I know what you're doing, but I still love you. I know what you're struggling with, but I'm gonna forgive you. God gave Jesus that, that mission to hang on the cross, to be that bloody sacrifice. A couple years ago, Dr. Rome made an illustration. It's a horrible illustration, but it's just true. It's a horrible illustration. I love it, but I hate it at the same time. He made a statement. He said that too many times in our life, we just take sin for granted. And we just, yeah, we sin, and now Jesus is gonna forgive me. We kind of take it for granted. But if we went back to the Old Testament times, we would see something totally different. We would see a, blam a blemished little lamb come in pure as snow, and they would take the lamb and they would slit its throat as the lamb would scream in pain and the blood would begin to flow. And the people in the Old Testament realized, man, that's the consequences of my sin. I did that and I caused this animal, animal pain. And it's, it was a visual reminder of what the, the impact had. And then we get to this side of the cross and we know that Jesus hung on the cross and we know he, he bled for us, but we take it so callous that we think, yeah, Jesus will forgive me. But instead, we need to look at Jesus as something that was precious. Something that God looked at and said, baby, I love you. I love you so much. But I'm gonna let you go. And then I'm gonna watch you get beaten. And then I'm gonna watch you die. And blood everywhere. It's a bloody scene and I'm gonna watch that. But you're so precious to me that the things that we do, the things we struggle with, the sins in our life, don't take it so cavalier. Yes, Jesus will forgive you, but look at the magnitude of it. It cost Jesus his life. God the Father looking at his child going, I gave them up. I'm allowing them to die for you. Verse five, you also living stones 
are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That not only was Jesus referred to a living stone, we are referred to living stones and we're being built up. What are we being built up for? He said, you're being built up to be a spiritual house. What, what, what does he mean? I, I'm still an eight-year-old, I swear I really am. I read something and I go, why, why, huh? Well, I always did those kind of things. It's okay. Ask yourself why. Why is he saying, what is, what's he saying about a spiritual house? This right here, our church, is a spiritual house. And he says, I need, I'm, I'm gonna put living stones and we're gonna build something. I, I'm gonna step on your toes, okay? Because I love you enough to, to do this. God has made you. God has equipped you. God has built you. God is shaping you to fit into this living stone, this spiritual house. Shame on you to think, well, I don't need to serve here because somebody else will do it. Shame on you to say, well, I, I, somebody else will do it. I'm just not gonna do anything. Shame on you. Because Jesus died on the cross to build us up, to put us into this spiritual sacrifice, this spiritual house. He sacrificed something to put us in his house. So if we build this wall, we have these living stones and we start building them together and you say, well, I don't wanna do it. I don't wanna be involved. I don't wanna be connected. You're gonna leave a gap. You're gonna leave a gap in the wall. And you think, well, somebody else will do it. No, that, that gap, that hole is built just for you. Just like we talked about when we were talking to, to Brad and Monica, you may have walked a journey in your past of recovery or pain or sin habit, or God has restored your relationship, or God has healed you, or God has walked, had walked with you through a broken marriage. He, maybe, maybe God has done that, and he's walked you through that for the purpose that he wants you to use it. For the purpose that he wants you to be in this spiritual house, connected. And if you decide, I, I, no, I, I'm I don't, need, I don't wanna do anything, then you're leaving a gap. You're leaving a gap. You're leaving a hole in the wall. God has built you to do something. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices. That's praise, that's, uh, that's pursuing, that's getting connected, that's serving, that's using your gifts and abilities and your talents, your will, your body, your time, your effort. That's being involved in a spiritual sacrifice, which are acceptable to God through Christ. I wanna tell you something, for our church, we are not building a church, we're not a church that is gonna grow to be independent of God. I, I, I've been around a while and I've seen churches that have built this empire and they wanna control things and they have um, themes and programs and missions and they have satellite this, satellite this and they build a brand. I could care less about that stuff because it fosters an independence from God that we know the answer of how to do the church. Let me tell you, we don't know how to answer to do the church. I, I'll let the cat out of the bag. We don't really know. 
Because in God's word, it doesn't say, this is how you do a staff meeting. This is how you hire staff. This is how you do church. This is how you run a small group. This is how, not, there's not many instructions in God's word about how to do a church. So you know how we lead a church? We get together, we get on our knees and we pray. God, what do you want this church to be? If you ever have an opportunity to come to an elders meeting, we start on our knees just humbly. God, would you please show us what you want us to do? And we're gonna empty ourselves and our opinions. And God, what do you want us to do? We end our elders meeting just exactly the same way. God, what do you want us to do? And if God doesn't tell us what to do, guess what we do? We do nothing. I believe that brings honor to God more than just doing something. God, what do you want us to do? Because we're not building a church that's gonna be independent of you. We're building a church that's gonna be dependent on you. And we build a church that is dependent on the Lord. There's things that we all are doing. There's things that we're all doing. So in this room right here, we have all these people that are, God said, man, I, through Jesus Christ, I, I've forgiven you, I've restored you, and now I wanna build you into something. You're growing up in your faith and I wanna build you. Listen, find a place to serve. Find something to use your gifts and abilities. Okay, I may be stepping out, and, I, and forgive me for saying this, but I don't need you. God doesn't need you, but God wants you. God doesn't need you to serve in the preschool ministry. God doesn't need you to help volunteer with the middle school uh, kids. God doesn't need you, he wants you. What a privilege it is to be included in what he's doing. And yet when we don't do it, you're not being disobedient to me. You're not being disobedient to us. You're being disobedient to God through Jesus Christ who gave you this life. Find something to get involved in. And I'm gonna go ahead and tell you this. Listen, you have my opinion. You have my permission. You have my permission. If you walk in the church and there's a piece of trash, you have my permission to pick up that trash. If you see the grass needs to be cut, you have my permission to bring your mower and cut the grass. If you see that we say, hey, we need preschool workers, you have my permission to run upstairs and be the first person to volunteer for the preschool. Don't seek anybody's permission. Don't seek my permission. If you feel like God is leading you to do something, by golly, do it. Do it. Because he is building you up to get you connected and get you growing. Why? Here's my eight-year-old child again. Well, why does he want us to do that? Why does he want us to be built together? Because we're living in a world that's dying and going to hell and they need somebody to show them the truth. And that's the church. They need them. So it's your choice. In light of this, your choice to be involved or not. Verse six, he says, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. There's so much more in this scripture that, that we have time to dive into, but, but there's, a, there's a stuff that's going on. There's a cultural stuff going on. There's tension going on. There's tension between Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. And Peter's trying to tell them, listen, we're all in this together. We're all being built together. We're all one body. We're all coming together. We're together as one body. And he says about Jesus that he's precious. It's a cornerstone. 
and the one who trusts him will never be put to shame. Isaiah 28, 16 says it this way. It says, see, I lay a stone of Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation to one who relies on it. He will never be stricken with panic. If you rely on Jesus, it gives us a, a, a blessing here. You're not gonna live in panic. I am not scared of the stupid virus. I'm not gonna live in panic of this stupid virus because my security is in Jesus. When things begin to crumble, I'm not gonna walk my life in panic and fret because I realize who is in charge. You know, Paul says, it's better for me to die. Is that your heart? Man, it's better for me to die because I'll be in the presence with Jesus. But we walk through our life full of panic and, sh and just fret. Jesus says, man, I, listen, there's some security here with me. There's a foundation here. It's a cornerstone. So if I don't know if you know what a cornerstone is, a cornerstone is a cornerstone. It's pretty, pretty deep, isn't it? It's a, it's a stone that holds two walls together. And if you, a stone that holds two walls together, they're gonna be parallel with each other. They're gonna be straight and they hold them together. So Jesus, he, he, Jesus is holding us together, okay? In the world that's going on, Jesus is holding me together because without Jesus, I'm gonna be full of anxiety, stress, pain, struggles, wonders, but Jesus is holding us together, okay? So he says, I'm the cornerstone. I'm holding you together. But then he transitions, and in verse seven, he says something kind of a little bit different here. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. If you believe in Jesus, and he, he is precious because he gives you a foundation, he gives you a truth to live up by. But to, to those who do not believe, this stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. So he's talking about a different kind of stone here. So what's a capstone? A capstone is a stone that goes on top of a building when it's complete. It goes on the very top, it's just the capstone. So we have the cornerstone that everything's being built on and it gets to the point to the top of the building, they put a capstone on it. Now, when I, when I was doing some study on this, I thought, well, that's kind of cool. I mean, the capstone is the thing that finishes everything off. Do y'all remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross? He says something very powerfully. Do y'all know what he said? It is, say it out loud. It is finished. I'm the capstone. It is finished. It's done. I'm the foundation. I'm the only way to Jesus. I'm the only way to have a relationship. I'm the only way to have salvation. It is finished. I'm the capstone. But there's, there's us who follow Jesus. Yes, we believe it. We embrace it. We love it. But there's people who do not believe it. And it says that, they, that because of that, it becomes a capstone. So there, here's another description of a capstone. When a tomb is built and they put the body in the tomb, they put something over the tomb. Some people call it the, the vault top or whatever, they, there's other words for it. But some other people call it the capstone, the thing that goes on top, they're putting a cap on it. So what is that teaching us? There's an opportunity that we have with Jesus. 
There's an opportunity that we have to tell people about Jesus. There's an opportunity to receive Jesus' teaching of salvation. We have these opportunities, but there's gonna be a time that a capstone is gonna cover and it's gonna be done. You're not gonna have another opportunity. In fact, scholars believe that this, some, the same verbiage here is used when, when Jesus or God is described at the, at the ark with Noah. When Noah gets on the ark, there's this big door that I, I pictured Noah standing at the, at the door going, Could just get in the boat, come on, get in the boat. Come on, get in the boat, the rain's coming. Just get in the boat, get in the boat, get in the boat. Please get in the boat, we built this big boat for you. Just get in the boat. And there was a time and it just ran out. And God shut the door. The capstone is done. Time is over. So in our life, we don't know when that time is coming. So we should be living verse one through six. I'm gonna cast this off. I don't have time for malice, envy. I don't have time for that stuff because God is building us into something. Why? Because he, the world needs us. The world needs us. Verse nine, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You know, when, when, when something belongs to somebody, especially a famous person, it brings more weight. My, my family and I, we went to a museum. It's in the north something part of Georgia's up in way up there. And we, we, we uh, found a museum. I like Elvis. I, I just like Elvis. I, I remember going, getting off the school bus and my mom had the eight track and the radio and she had Elvis playing. So just Elvis has been in my blood ever since I was born. I, lo I love Elvis. And we found out there's an Elvis museum in this little town. So we thought, oh, let's just go for kicks and, and go see it. Funny thing, it just, everything that had Elvis's face on it was in this house. From floor to ceiling, every room, it was so overly funny that it was like, even though my Elvis fan going, this is just so gaudy, it's just so bad. We walked into this room and they had this display case. You look at the display case and there was a card and it told you what was on display and then in the, beside the card there was this little glass box. You look into the glass box and you go, man, what is that? And you start reading the card, it was the wart of Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy Osbourne had visited Elvis's museum and cut his wart off. Well, he, I guess he was there. I don't know. He was like, hey, do y'all want something? I don't, I don't know. I don't know the story behind it. Somehow the wart got into the Elvis museum and it's on display. It's a little stupid little thing. It's on display. And I thought, well, that's kind of gross, you know? But then I looked to the right, nail clippings from Elvis Presley. It's a nail clipping, it's a war, it's just stuff that all of us have. But, but, but because it belonged to Ozzy Osbourne and Elvis Presley, we're gonna put it in a museum. Why, because it's precious. You're precious. You are precious. You are precious. If there was a museum for manhood and, and society, you would be in it. All of your brokenness, all your pain, all your troubles, all your struggles, all your uh, dirty laundry, all that stuff, it would be on display 
because Jesus looks at you and says, baby, I love you. Man, you're so precious. You belong to me. And when you belong to me, man, you are a precious, precious person. I love God's word. So encouraging. Verse 11 says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world, abstain from sinful desires, which war against your soul. There's a spiritual battle going on in you. D.L. Moody uh, made a statement. He said, does anybody know who D.L. Moody is? He's a famous uh, theologian, pastor, author. He, he, he wrote this. He said, the, the person I have more problems with in my life is D.L. Moody. Because in his life, he realized, man, there's always something going on. There's always a war going on in me. And I've always got to struggle to keep things at bay. Verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though you, they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Think about that verse for a second and put it in light of what is going on in society at this time. People are being arrested. People are being persecuted. People are being beaten. People are being ripped to death. People, dads are being taken away from families. Children are being taken away from moms and dads. They're being dipped in wax or being set on fire. Read it again. Live such good lives among the pagans. Live such good lives among those who are doing this to you. King Daryl version. Live such good lives before them that they, they accuse you of doing wrong, though they accuse you of burning the city down. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. Wow. You mean I'm supposed to walk this out when people are persecuting me? I'm supposed to walk out my life when people are hateful towards me? You mean I'm supposed to uh, do things that, that point people to Jesus? That I'm supposed to be in this foundation, this, 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 this thing, spiritual house that's being built for a purpose? I, I'm supposed to do that? Yes, why? Because God says because of these good deeds, the way that you serve your community, the way that you're connected, the way that you're growing in your faith has a purpose. And the purpose is that they may glorify God when he visits. But let me unpack that for a second. And when God comes down, when Jesus finally comes down, if we're here present, when Jesus comes down, this is what's gonna happen. People are gonna go, now I get it. Now I get why that person was acting that way. Now I get why they were so loving. Now I get why they were so kind to me. Now I get why they were so opening their house to me. Now I get it. That the way we live our life has a purpose. And at the end, when, when people in this society, remember, just think about what's going on here. When those people that are hurting them, persecuting them, doing harm to them, when God comes back, back on the scene, they're gonna glorify God. So what does that mean? What does that mean to glorify God? They're gonna say, I got it. I understand it. You were demonstrating it, now I see it. You have that job, I have that job. So in light of these verses, 
Paul's telling his, the fellow Christians there, he said, listen, times are tough. I, I'm, I'm not telling you things are bad. I mean, are good. Things are bad. Th- things are really bad. But you got a challenge to do. Put some stuff off. Live a life that's holy and pleasing to God. Being built up. Be connected. Rely upon the foundation of the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. So here, here's four things that we're gonna do a takeaway. Number one, realize your identity. So what's my identity? My identity is that I'm precious to Jesus. I'm a child of God. Realize that. Number two, resist your impulse, impulses. Listen, a godly life that impacts others begins with a godly life inside. That we have an opportunity to, when we are faced with temptation, to cast it off, to flee from it, not partake in it. Why? Because a godly life impacts, uh, that impacts others starts with your own heart. Number three, respond with a yes. Jesus says, hey, I want you to do, before you finish this statement, you say yes. Look at your own life. How are you built? How are you equipped? What's your gifts, your abilities, your talents? What is your past? What has God healed you from? The answer is yes. God, how do you want me to serve? How do you want me to do it? The answer is yes. Number four, our job is to reveal our relationship. Reveal it, live it out. When we leave from here, we go to small group. After small group, we're gonna go to lunch. When you go to lunch, reveal your relationship. I was talking to a waitress at um, Truett's. And she was telling me that uh, she serves these group of men that come in every morning or maybe once a week. They come in and they sit and they do their kind of their men group and stuff. And she said, they're just so mean to me. They're just rude to me. They, they uh, are demanding. They're hateful. They're just mean. And, and when they come in the door as waitresses, we're going, oh, please don't sit at my table. Please don't sit at my table. They have a reputation that nobody wants to wait on. They're just awful. But when they leave without a tip, guess what they leave on the table? A card that has a Bible verse. That's not revealing your relationship. So reveal your relationship where you go. If a waitress is serving you, love her. Love him. Be forgiving when they bring you the wrong drink. Be forgiving for when they drop your food. Be forgiving, love them. Our job is to reveal our relationship everywhere we go. So God has a mission for us. Live where you're living with the tension over in Afghanistan, with the COVID, with this, with that, with this. I want you to live in it. I put you here for a purpose. I want you to reveal your relationship. It's your choice, your choice. I'm not saying that as cavalier, but it's your choice, your decision. If you choose to do it, you're gonna be blessed. If you choose not to do it, you're being disobedient. Your choice, your choice. So let's pray together. Father, we just wanna say thank you that you love us, that you really do care for us, that we really are precious in your sight. Regardless of how we define ourselves, we're still precious. Even how we maybe hate ourselves we're still precious. Father, you put us here at this time of this world for a purpose. 
We have walked past pains for a purpose. You have grown us up for this purpose, for this time. Father, we're dependent on you. You are our foundation. You are the cornerstone that's building us up. But there's gonna be a time when time runs out. There's gonna be a time when opportunity to tell people about you is gonna run out. For maybe some of us in this room, maybe the opportunity for us to to have a relationship with you is running out because we don't know you yet. So God, I pray that not only for us as followers of Christ, may we be so diligent in living out our faith, pointing people to you. But maybe in this room, that Father, that if, you don't, if someone's here that doesn't know you, that they would act on it now. Father, how you lived a sinless life, but you freely and willingly allowed people to abuse you, beat you, shred your back, to nail you on a cross as you suffocated and suffered and died as the, for the penalty of our sin. The bloody sacrifice, you willingly did that because you loved us but you also loved us enough not to stay in the tomb, but that you shot out, you rose victorious over death. And because of that, we can have salvation. Father, our time hasn't come to enter into eternity. May we use this time wisely to reveal our faith, reveal our life. May we chase after your word, your pure milk, as newborn babies craving their mother's milk. May we do that. May we be connected into your church. Use our gifts and abilities and talents. Father, we thank you so much that you care for us. We thank you for that you love us, that you provide for us. We thank you for this Sunday morning. May you use us in a powerful way. In this name of Jesus, we pray, amen.